0: We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. Amen. I hope you'll grab your Bible. You can in fact go there to 1 Samuel's where we're going to end up. We're starting a new series today, you can see. There. We're just calling it Power. Looking at the life of King David. Now, tell me this. Many of you have heard this, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, I wonder how many of us know who actually said that. He wrote it. The context of that Quote is actually very interesting. The actual quote comes from Lord Acton, 1887. He was writing of history of the church, and he was writing specifically about the Inquisition. And the idea that he was presenting to a bishop, he was stating uh, this this idea that a person's morality lessens as their power increases, and he was saying, "Let's not write a revisionist history." When it comes to certain politicians or certain popes, even, or Christian leaders, let's be honest. And he was talking about, writing about the Inquisition, and he said, hey, not everything that the church has done or godly leaders have done has been godly. In fact, it has been unethical, even evil, along the way. If you're reading through the scriptures with us, many of you are reading through the Bible, and you've seen in recent days, uh, as we were reading uh, through the Kings, First uh, and Second Chronicles, Kings, it, it's just one after another. Well, he was the son of and so he's the evil king. Just naming evil king. He did not do what was good in the sight of the Lord. Every five or six evil kings, there crops up a good one. He was a good king, and everything goes back to the ultimate king in those days. He, he, he followed the ways of David. David was the great king during the golden era of Israel's history. Acton's actual quote was this, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men, he went on to say, are almost always bad men. How about that? Great in regard to influence and stature is what he meant. As one's power increases, then most often their, their ethics, their morality decreases. So the assertion is that humans cannot handle power. And I, I, I would argue biblically, we could confirm this biblically, we're not created to have an unrestrained power. We're not created to be given an uncountable kind of power. We can't handle it. In the same way, we're not meant to be famous. We're not created to be famous. This is what takes so many people down in our culture today, so many young people. We just want, want to be famous. I want to have a YouTube channel. I need X number of followers on Instagram. Or I want to be famous because ultimately, isn't that success to be famous? We can't handle fame. Proven over and over again. Think of some of the most famous people in history. It leads to self-destruction. We were not made to have power, per se, unrestrained power, certainly. We're not created to be famous. There's one who has all power. There's one who is to be famous. And it is God himself. And so Jesus enters the scene and it says of him, he had all authority and all power. And then he shows us what it is to be given power by God and then how to live. I guess the question I want to ask, is it possible for us to have power, privilege and influence and to leverage it for the purposes of God? And Let me say, well, of course it is. But there is a fine line there. We see it across uh, our lives every day in our society. Think about it. Every day, it seems, the news is filled with those who would abuse the power they've been given. We see it in politics, certainly. We see it in relationships in our own lives. We see it in terms of gender. We see a power uh, over men, over women in particular. We see that played out, I would say, in the porn industry. We see it in business. We see it in families. We see it in the church. We see the abuse of power because we don't understand power as we should. So is it possible to live with the power and leverage it for the purposes of God? Jesus taught us how. Now we're going to look at the life of David, but Jesus is of course the ultimate paradigm, the great king. He's the better king. He's the greater David, if you will, as we'll see even today. But Jesus taught us that Uh, Laying down our power, laying down our authority, if you will, living for others, giving our lives for others, is the way that true power comes in the kingdom. It's this upside-down kingdom. How about this? We celebrated uh, a week ago as we were walking through Holy Week. We thought again about that Last Supper as we shared in, in the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper on Good Friday even here, as hundreds came through our sanctuary. On Friday afternoon, and we remembered. We always remember what he taught us. And on that same night, the most powerful man in the room showed us what it was to be the most powerful man in the room. He got on his knees, on his, uh, and he and he got before the disciples, each one, and, and washed their feet. Jesus showed us what true power looks like. It looks a lot like washing another's feet it looks a lot like serving the poor it looks a lot like forgiving it looks a lot like dying true power is given by God and its leveraged to serve others and so King David shows us that it's possible he was a man with certain character cracks he didn't do it perfectly but he is the one who's called a man after God's own heart why was that? Why is he called that even after certain failures in his life? We're going to look at that this month. So let's talk today. It all begins with calling. We're going to talk about the power of calling. David is chosen as king, and this morning I want you to see David's calling and how uh, God's called each of us as well. Very practical sermon today. What has God called you to do? How can we leverage influence, the gifts he's given us, for his purposes, so First Samuel sixteen. Now let me set this up a bit. Uh, David is, of course, central figure in the Bible. He's a unique and singular figure. There's only one David. I mean, when I say David, you know who that is, and he's the only one in all the Bible. He is David. It's kind of like Jordan, Tiger. You know, LeBron. Okay, um, Kanye. Okay, maybe not. But it's 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 David. He's David right he is David maybe another generation share you know when you have just one one name everybody knows who that is he he, his name is David and his name means beloved beloved he was the one who was loved by God can you imagine how even his name would mark his identity and we're gonna see how his life is marked through his calling the first time we see David in the scriptures, we see it here. There are three titans, if you will, throughout the book of First and Second Samuel. Uh, one is Samuel, the great prophet, after whom the books are named. He's a great prophet, kind of a judge in this theocracy of sorts. He's a leader. He's God's man. He's the one who anoints Saul, the first king of Israel. You may know Saul starts out rather good, half-hearted. Ultimately, he's rejected. By God. And then God raises up David, the third, out of this triumvirate, this, this, tr- this group of leaders. And he's the greatest of them all. So let's consider this God's call. Let's talk about it and draw from David's life. Chapter 16, verse uh, 1. Let's just look, start this story 1 through 6 or so. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? He's grieving because he'd anointed the king. Great hope uh, was there for Saul, and we saw what Lord Acton said. Greater power comes to a man than greater corruption takes place in his heart. This was true of Saul. How long will you grieve since I have rejected him? This takes place in chapter 15 from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. So this is, uh, he's going to take some oil with him. Go and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. If Saul, the king, hears that I'm going to anoint another, I'm in trouble. And he said, the Lord said, take a heifer with you also, and and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. I've come to, to sacrifice. I invite Jesse. He says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Show him that you're a peaceable man. I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. I'm going to show you who he is. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came and, and, uh, to meet him. They were trembling because his, he could come. Watch this. He could come with judgment on them. As a prophet, he could come with bad news. They're asking him, do you come with bad news? Shall we tremble? Do you come peaceably? And Samuel said, I come peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Here's my heifer. I've come to worship the Lord. In fact, I'm inviting others. Consecrate yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And then in verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest son. And thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So even Samuel thought, well, this this must be the one. Because he was looking for another king who was like Saul. Saul, you might remember, was taller than anybody else. He was a handsome man. He looked like a king. He was presidential Eliab was the eldest, certainly he'd be the oldest son. It would be the blessing to all. So Eliab comes, and and even Samuel thinks, surely this is the one. But the Lord spoke into his heart, and he was convinced. Clearly, God spoke to him and said, this is not the one, not the one. And so what I want you to see first of all here, we see in verses 1 through 6, we see it early on. First of all, when we're regarding God's call, and then we can apply this to our lives. God's call is a solution to a problem. God's call on your life is a solution to a problem. David was called by God because there was a problem in Israel and the problem was the king. And God saw the problem. He sees all things, rejects Saul, and and then through the obedience of Samuel, who was really risking his life in a way, he he then comes to David and David is going to be anointed as king, as we'll see here in a moment. You probably know the story. So look at this. God's call can come through the failure of some and the obedience of others. Think about this in your own life. God's call will come on your life as a result of the sin of some. Maybe the sin of generations past. The sin of someone in your life. There's a failure or a problem. Maybe it's a societal problem. Maybe it's a problem in our culture that needs to be fixed. Even here, we see it with David's life. See, perhaps you've been called to a role and you had no idea that you'd be called to become a reformer because there's a problem maybe you've been called to be an agent of peace think about your own family or relationships there's a problem God is raising you up not simply to throw rocks at those and and simply put down others who are part of the problem you've been called to be a solution to the problem God has raised you up as his own perhaps you never dreamed that you would be a single parent. Could have been through the sins of others, a single mom or single dad. God's called you up to be the solution to a problem, to be a godly parent, to be the one who would step into this challenging situation. God often calls, raises up grandparents to do the same. God calls us into a problem. But don't miss this. This is not simply a lifelong. Yes, it is lifelong call. But in the moment, even now, you can look around your life and see an injustice, a a problem that needs a solution. God is calling you to step in to that problem. In fact, the key is discerning God's call in your life. Watch this. What problem do you see in your life that he's calling you to fix? I've said it before. What, What makes you angry? Righteously angry? anger. Uh, Righteous anger comes into your life when you see this thing. That's worth thinking about. You could write that question down, ponder it, pray about it because that informs your calling. What is it that you can't stand anymore? I call it the Popeye principle. Popeye. It's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. And then he goes ballistic. He eats his spinach and he goes crazy. See, what we see is we see a problem and we can't handle it. Some of you see problems that I don't see and you can't stand it. That's why you have a passion for that ministry or that particular social need. And you're involved. What are you passionate about? We're going to talk about how you discern that. That will inform your calling. There's a solution and you are the problem. I mean, you are the solution. There's a problem and you are the solution. Don't be the problem. All right. (laughs) Don't write that down. That's, That's wrong. Okay, number two. God's call is a surprise to you and to others. Now look at this. It's often, most often a surprise. Look at verse 7. You know this verse probably well. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance. Don't look on the outward appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. And then here's the great challenge for us all. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then it goes on that each one of his sons, from the eldest down to the youngest, even to a point where they say in verse eleven, Samuel says he's rejected all of them. The Lord's rejected each one. And then he says to Jesse, "Are all your sons here? This is this it?" He's kind of disappointed. This is confusing. And then Jesse says, "Behold, there's one more. He's the youngest." Uh, surely not him. He's the young man. He's, in fact, he's out keeping sheep. And Samuel said, Hey, send him. Bring him in. In fact, we won't sit down until he's here. So, David, watch this. David has to go and, and consecrate himself. They're, they're entering into this ceremonial dinner. It's a sacrifice, it's a, it's a worship gathering. And he had to go then clean up. He was out in the fields. He's dirty. He's a shepherd. They're waiting. I mean, they're waiting to eat. They can't sit down to eat till David gets there. It's kind of like someone, I was always accused of this still in my own family, but growing up, I just pray too long before the meal. You got to get on with it. Man, we got dinner. I mean, dinner is served. You got to stop praying. That's what's happening here. Get David here. Where is he? We're not sitting down until he gets here. And then David comes, and then you know how this story goes in verse 12. This is the one, is what Samuel says. The Lord says to him, Arise, anoint him, for he is the one. David is the one that's chosen. I want you to see this. Not only is God's call a solution to a problem, God's call is a surprise to you and to others. Look at this. They can't believe it. Now, here's what I want to say. Let me, let me offer this parenthetically. God's call on our life, to each one of us is first a call to salvation. That's the primary call and we are all surprised by this. We understand the love of God but the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none that are righteous, not one, and that God would choose us, that Christ would come to rescue us. His call on us surprises all of us when we understand how holy he is and how sinful we are. God surprises us by calling us into his family. This is the good news of God for you today. He's calling you into his family. Are you a member of his family? Have you received his grace? I've talked to some, even recently, I talked to a young man who was struggling with his salvation. And I said, well, what would keep you from, from, from receiving Christ? And, and he said, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm not... Just not worthy. I, I'm not worthy of that kind of love. And I said, "You got it. That's exactly right. You're not worthy. This is the message of grace. None of us are worthy. You see, I, I've talked to others who think there's this act of humility, of virtue. I, I'm just not worthy. I, as if maybe, maybe I maybe I'll get worthy sometime. Listen, that's an ultimate act of pride. That's not humility. That's pride. to think that you're somehow going to bring something to the table in regard to your salvation. We say it often, the only thing you bring to the table is your sin that makes it necessary. God surprises all of us by His grace. But look at what we see here. I love this. His call comes in unexpected ways. First, there's an unexpected look. You see this in in verses 6 through 10. We're prone to look at the outside. God looks at the inside. Now, let's be honest. Every one of us make judgments like this all the time. Watch your heart this week. You've done it today. We make judgments, maybe subconscious judgments, about people the moment we see them. We, we look at someone, we look at what they're wearing, make a judgment. We look at the color of their skin and make a judgment. We, we, we look at... Maybe maybe a vocation. We even look, watch this, we look at a gender and we make judgments. Some. We make judgments all the time. Watch your heart. Let the Spirit work in your heart and speak to you in that. This past week uh, in South Texas, I can tell you that I told the the group of men that I was with, I said, we're going to meet some of the greatest in the kingdom this week. Some of the greatest men and women you've ever seen. In the kingdom, they're the greatest sure enough, we got to know those that we partner with even better. We know Jorge. We know Victor. We know Ivan. We know these these pastors and leaders in this area who might show up here, frankly, and not seem that they fit. And yet in the kingdom of God, they are the greatest. We're to look at every person in the same way. Do you make judgments on people? Simply by the way they look. And I want to say this to our guest here. I know that, that we are in a in a particular context here in, in North Dallas. I know that we are white. I mean we white. We're not all white. And we, we 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 want to hear I want you to hear this. You're welcome here. If you don't feel like you belong, you don't look like others here, you don't, maybe you don't feel like you're... Listen, you don't have to dress up to come here. You come as you are. You don't have to wear expensive clothes. You don't have to... You, don't, you come as you are. This is the way of Jesus. And we want to be a church, Park City's Baptist Church, fling wide the doors of grace. We invite everyone to come. Jesus says, everybody come. And we want to be that kind of a church. We're a loving church, a gracious church. We welcome all people. There's an unexpected look when God calls. Look at this, an unexpected time. We see this in David's life. He's the youngest and was not yet ready, not even ready to be king. And Here's what's interesting. Nobody really knows. It's not explicit here. Samuel knows he's coming to anoint a king. I, I wonder what others were thinking there. Maybe they knew Jesse's family. He kind of wanted to go, you know, under the radar so that Saul wouldn't necessarily know. Do you realize that David doesn't become king for another 15, 20 years? He's on the run during that time from the king, even though he blesses the king, as we'll see here in a moment. Unexpected time. Here's what I want you to see. There's a time that we think, I'm too, too young. Some of you think, I'm too young. I'm too young to be called by God to step into that certain situation or to bless that person or to do anything about that. You're not too young. Maybe I'm too old. That's the problem for many. I'm done. I'm too old to be called into some area of ministry to do something. Some new season of your life. Maybe you're like David. There's a calling on your life and there's a season of preparation. But now is the time to say yes. And then to move towards that calling, the season of preparation. We'll talk about how to listen to him, how to understand that, discern that here in just a moment. Well, not only is there an unexpected look, a time, there's an unexpected hero. Now watch this. I love this. I want want us to be clear about this story. I I want to help us in terms of understanding how to read biblical narratives like this that talk about certain characters. We might call them Bible heroes. There's a hero in the story. He's an unexpected hero. And what we do is we read this. We even can teach our kids this. We're going to look at David and Goliath next week. Hope you'll come. We often say, hey, be like David. Go out there and you attack your giants. Step into your fear. Overcome your fears. Be like David. Good luck with that. Right? Get better. Work harder. It's possible to leave a sermon. It's possible to leave a connect group, a Sunday school class, and say, wow, I just, I got to work harder. I can get better. What a beat down. Listen, be encouraged. There's a hero in this story. And it's not David. It's God. God is the hero of this story. I hear this a lot, even in Christian circles today. Be the hero of your own story. I'm I'm hearing young women reading books, reading blogs, whatever else. Hey, go girl. You be the hero of your story. Listen, to the degree that you're the hero of your own story is the same degree to which you will experience anxiety, failure, comparison, and and shame in your life. God has not called us to be the hero of our story. Men hear this, be the man. Well, okay, I, I, I get that, but watch what happens here. Look at verse 13. Do you know, first reading, we don't know who David is yet. We we don't know who he is. We haven't seen his name. Until right now, look at this, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. First time we hear his name. I think that's interesting. Spirit of God comes on him. Now we know his name. Now he matters not before then, from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Spirit of God comes upon him. I think there's this special favor. You know, the Spirit of God now lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It doesn't say in him. It says upon him, there's a blessing upon him. From that day forward, David, by the Spirit of God, is chosen, marked. God chooses David. David didn't choose God. You don't choose God. He chooses you. God chose Moses. God chose Daniel. God chose Esther. God chose Mary, John, Paul. He chooses you and me. God does the choosing. We do the obeying. And we don't look at somebody else's call. I wish God called me to do that. I wish He'd call me. No, He's designed you to serve Him and His call upon your life. Like David is His calling. Now look thirdly, look at this. God's call is always to serve others. So if we had time, we'd walk through this latter part. You can see it here, verses 14 through 23. Look at how David serves Saul. This is fascinating to me. So if the Spirit of God comes on David, and in verse 14, the Spirit leaves, departs Saul. And then Saul is troubled by this tormenting spirit. It's a harmful spirit that torments him. So he needs comforting. So different ones, he he needs help. So so the servants, watch this, others point to David ultimately. He's skillful in playing the lyre. Now the lyre would be like in our day like the acoustic guitar. He's playing the guitar. something you could take with you, play anytime. And I believe by this point David is already writing worship songs to God. Even as a teenager we think he is here. He's skillful in his playing, like those who play instruments here every Sunday. He's he's honed his craft. He plays beautifully. And I believe he's writing and playing, even singing worship songs. Saul wants him in his court, so he comes. It says then uh, he's a man of of good presence. He's a a man of valor. And he comes, and, and the Lord is with him. They're telling Saul. So Saul says, send him to me in verse 19. Send David, send him to me. He's with the sheep, but send him this way. And Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. This is like a a close personal attendant to the king. And he remained in his servant. He wanted him to stay, stay here with me. Notice Saul was not at his anointing, right? So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed him, it says there in verse 23. David would play, I believe, his worship songs. Saul would be caught up in that. Peace and joy would come into his life. I'm guessing it's in part why you come to worship. Just the music alone is is such a blessing. So encouraging to the soul. It's why our choir, it's why you come every Wednesday night, right? To rehearse. It's worship. It's it's hump day, but you worship the Lord. as, As Stephen leads our choir and our orchestra, yes, I'm comforted by the words of our songs. This was the way it was with Saul. So David blesses him. Our calling, your calling is to serve others always tied to serving others. Later, Asaph, watch this. Asaph is a, is a worship leader. He's a, he's a hymn writer, a, song, a psalmist. And we see in Psalm 78, you can see it there on the screen. Watch this. He's writing a summation of David's life, really his calling. And look at what he says. He, God, chose David, his servant, And took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. I love that passage. Listen to how it describes David. It describes you and I as he calls us. Look at this. David's call was to be a servant. He was to be a shepherd. And he was to do so, look at this, with integrity of heart and with excellence. That's how God calls us to serve him. David was that example. So let's get real practical before I close. How do I seek confirmation from God in my calling? Well, there's several ways. The first is spiritual gifts. The Bible tells us, and I want you to, you can write these down if you're seeking to discern. You can look online. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 5. First Peter Chapter 4, verse 10. Romans 12, 4 through 6. This is where we see a list of gifts that God gives to us. Every one of you has a gift. If you're a believer, you've been given a gift to serve others, to build up the body. And then how about your heart? You can ask these questions. What are my spiritual gifts? What about my heart? What am I passionate about? Well, others can tell you. What do you talk about? What do you get excited about? What are you passionate about? What brings great joy into your life? How about this? Abilities. What unique abilities do you have? How has God given you certain talents that are unique to you? What about your personality? How has God wired you? Maybe you're an introvert, an extrovert. How has He wired you? And then finally, experience. What experiences do you have? Good or bad that you've walked through that can serve and bless others. You'll see there that really what we're talking about here, this acrostic, Uh, is your shape. It's the shape that God has created. You're, You're shaped by God to bless others. Think about this. What other moments do you have, do we have in our lives where we say let's consecrate this person. Let's anoint them. Let's name it. Let's call it out that here is how God has wired you and created you. Parents can do that all the time. Grandparents and friends do that, but listen, the church does that. Watch this. Baptism is a confirmation of the ultimate call on your life. I talk to so many people who doubt their salvation, and often it will be, well, tell me, were you, were you baptized? Well, no, I hadn't really hadn't done that, but I really, I think I was saved. I think I, I, I had that conversation this week. And listen, if you've not been baptized, this is a confirmation, just as we saw with Ace and Henry today. And your decision today, I trust, I hope, you'll be baptized. Mark the moment. Be set aside with the ultimate calling on your life, which is salvation in your life. And say to the world, I've been called out by God, saved by His grace. Well, the last thing I want you to see is that God's call is a stewardship of a lifetime. His calling on your life is a stewardship of life. Look at what it says in Acts 13. Acts 13. For David, after he had served the purpose of his own generation, purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Now, that's, that's the story of all of us. Think about this. That we would serve God in our generation, die, and be buried. That's it. For every one of us, the operative phrase, though he served God's purpose in his generation, Then it says, this is Paul speaking. He's making this point. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through Jesus. For by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. That's the highest calling on your life is salvation. And I want to close with this. These verses here. You may know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It speaks of calling. Think about your life. What has God called you to? Look at this. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. You've been called into salvation. That's the primary call on your life. Everything springs out of that. And then look at this. For we are, you are God's workmanship. We've said it. This word is poema in the Greek means poem. You're his story. You're his artwork created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at this, which God prepared beforehand in advance that we should walk in them. God has planned for you to live out his calling on your life before you were born. Now, I, I used to read this. I had this 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 aha moment this week as I was reading I thought well that's just wow sovereignty of God he already knows what I'm gonna do now watch this he has designed you this is what this means he pre-wired you to accomplish his purposes that's why this shape on your life is so important he gave you the personality you have for his purpose you look like you look for his purpose he gave you your eyes Your your mouth, your body, He gave everything to you, not by mistake, but to serve His purpose. You've been pre-wired to accomplish His purpose. You see, calling brings breakthrough clarity into your life. It allows you to focus on what matters most, enter into a disciplined pursuit of less in order to say yes to how God has designed you. This is my great hope for us that we'll realize that God's calling on our lives. It is a a solution to a problem. His call may be a surprise to you and to others, but as you discern through His Word, through the church, what your calling is, you say yes to Him every single day as He lays the needs in front of you. God's calling on your life is to serve others. And, and, And finally, His call is the stewardship of a lifetime. Every single day, we follow after Him and serve the purposes of God. May it be said of us that we were called by Him to salvation. We are His beloved. And our identity, our work, everything comes out of that. The new identity that He gives us in Christ. Do you know Him today? I want us to close our time in prayer. If you'll just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I want us to pray... And now comes maybe the most important moment for you. Would God say of you that you are a woman, a man after God's own heart? David was because he knew that he was loved by God. He was the beloved of God. You are too, friend. You're loved by God. That's your identity. He knew that he was loved by God and he knew he was called by God. So have you given your life to Jesus to respond to His grace to you? He's the only King that you can trust with your life. And friend, don't keep looking for God's call on your life. Do so. We've talked about that today. Watch for the needs right in front of you. We're called first to turn our lives to Him. We're called to love others. And we'll be presented with opportunity today, this week, to be like Jesus. Lay down our power, our privilege, our position, so that we might serve others in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for each person here who needs to come to you, give their lives to you. I pray today is the day. Friend, give him your life. Devote yourself to him. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.